Hi, y'all. I'm Marisa Zapata, and this is the podcast where we examine homelessness by talking to researchers and experts, who of course include people with lived experience of homelessness, to understand what we're missing in the headlines and sound bites. In each episode, we will help clear up misconceptions about homelessness and to answer what it would take to prevent and end homelessness in Portland and beyond. Who am I? I'm an associate professor of land use planning at Portland State University and director of PSU's Homelessness Research and Action Collaborative, a research center dedicated to reducing and preventing homelessness, where we lift up the experiences and perspectives of people of color. In this episode, we talk with Jessica Mathis and Calvin from Welcome Home Coalition. They talk about the speaker advocate program and the value of hearing and connecting to people with lived experience of homelessness. Welcome, y'all. It's great to have our guests who are coming to us from the Welcome Home Coalition Advocacy Training Program. We're going to hear from two exciting guests, Jessica Mathis, who is working at Welcome Home Coalition, and Calvin, who is one of our peer advocates. Is that what your title is? Like, what? Do, yes. How are we describing the people in the program? So far, we've called our folks advocates. Okay. So why don't we just start with a basic question? What is the Welcome Home Coalition? So the Welcome Home Coalition is a coalition of agencies, individuals in Portland who are looking to just further the idea that everyone deserves a place to call home. And that can be through different interventions, whether that is increasing affordable housing, increasing home ownership, increasing housing programs like permanent supportive housing, or any other sort of subsidy or support that'll keep people safe in housing. For listeners out there, first, I am on the Welcome Home Steering Committee. And uh, also, Welcome Home Coalition has been was instrumental in the creation and passing of two of the area bonds that are addressing affordable housing, the City of Portland bond and then the Metro uh, housing bond. So if you're wondering how things get made and how they happen, Welcome Home Coalition was a driver at both of those discussions. Jessica, what is your job? So I am the regional organizer with Welcome Home, which is a relatively new position. So I came on right before the start of the pandemic. And the goal for my job is to create trainings that engage folks with lived experience of homelessness and housing instability so that people can advocate for themselves and for their community. So what is this program all about? We really wanted to do this advocacy training program I have a social service background. I worked as a domestic violence advocate and ran a housing program for about six years. And in that time, there was policy work being done and there were sort of these um, trainings for folks to, to get engaged. But a lot of these trainings were either paced or done in a way that wasn't very trauma informed. They weren't accessible to a wide variety of people. And you know, depending on the audience, those trainings can be really great. You come to Salem, you take the time, you do this day training, you go and you speak to your legislator, but that isn't necessarily the greatest format for everybody. And especially for for folks who are not sharing, you know, I think it's a little bit easier for people in social services, people who run agencies to share stories that they witness, or maybe even past experiences that they have you know, moved past, I experienced homelessness as a youth, but I think for folks who are 
either currently in that trauma or it's a little more recent, it takes a little bit more education and a little bit more support to make sure that folks are able to present their stories the way they want to present them. They have agency over those stories and they know where and why they're, you know, doing it and showing up. So that's sort of the idea behind our program that has yet to have a snappy name, but that's kind of, uh, you know, the goal. I am often think snappy name pressure and acronyms is actually a reflection of historically white institutions, right? That we need to be able to sum up everything that is messy and complex in a snappy name or in an acronym. So I'm all for the long names that describe the things. Um, one of the things I wanted to follow up that, on that you had said is this idea of trauma-informed. So I feel like that's a phrase that gets thrown around all over the place. Could you talk a little bit about what trauma-informed work looks like with the work that you're doing? I definitely agree. It gets thrown around, I think, especially outside of, I come from the domestic violence sphere of uh, work, and I feel like we take trauma-informed care very seriously, but I have seen it thrown around a little bit more casually uh, in the sort of the broader, in the broader systems. So for me, trauma-informed care or trauma-informed trainings would be largely, firstly, centered on the, the folks in the training, right? Like, Yes, we have a direction and an idea and concept, but these trainings are for and about the communities we're serving and whatever their needs are. And it could be, I think trauma-informed is anything from like really simple stuff. Are, are people are people comfortable? Are they, are they fed? Are they able to concentrate? Are you open to hearing about other people's concerns outside of the training and making sure they're in a good space to be in that training? all the way to like, how are we talking about sharing the story? What rooms are we in? Informed consent is really important. Do people know where their stories are going, who they're talking to? Are we making sure not only are the training spaces, you know, safe and sort of free from judgment and interrogation, but are the people who are, we're inviting to, listen to our folks or we bring the community the tables are bringing our folks to are those places where people feel like heard and like their stories have meaning. I was an advocate doing this job for years and I had spaces where I felt like I was invited to be like the black person, you know? And I, you know, I think when we think trauma informed, it's not just individual trauma, but also like systemic trauma as well. So like, are we asking people to show up and do all this labor and represent broad communities? Or are we coming to people? Are we giving something back? What are we also doing to make the relationship like reciprocal? Where the community, you're not just drawing resources out of community and labor and energy. Right. So extraction is how I describe it. Yeah. Right. It's literally like people are coming in to extract things from us, from other marginalized communities and say like, look, we took the thing and now we're trying I just, I'm really grateful that y'all have taken this up. We get so many asks to magically produce people to share their stories and it is so messed up, but at the same time, like we want people to be able to share their stories if they want to. And so I just, I love this model and I love how you're thinking about the work. Let's talk to Calvin. Hi, Calvin. How are you? Hi, doing good. Good listening, learning from you guys, listening to Jessica and you talk. Do you have any reactions to what she was saying? 
No, I just got a better idea of what she does, and I'm a recipient of that. Like when I heard her talking about how we want to try to have a good environment in a place and where people can feel comfortable sharing and this type of things. So this is what I noticed that she does really well with CAC. She, amongst her other duties, she has a group of homeless people that have overcome homelessness and come together as an advisory group. And they're learning to try to, a lot of people don't have as much experience as you or Jessica. And so they come in and they try to contribute. And then Jessica's job seems to be to teach people how to do that. Contribute the knowledge that you have with your experiences and to be able to contribute that in a way that other people can learn from it and help hopefully apply it to helping with the problem of homelessness. You mentioned a CAC, which I'm assuming is a community advisory committee. Yes, ma'am. Yes, and, miss. <laughs> and I'm great with ma'am. I'm from Texas. So ma'am uh, is great. You're a ma'am at 18. Okay. So what is that committee advising? Who are they advising? Okay, what we're doing there, and when I first got invited, I was very excited to be invited to be a part of it. And I've been a part of it for three years now. But we come together, and these are people that have been involved with JOIN, which I have. I experienced homeless, and, I, and JOIN helped me. I can't give them enough kudos being a great organization that really is one of the best in Portland, and the counselors and everybody that helped me there. And so I went there and was helped and developed a relationship with a lot of other homeless people going through that place at the same time as me. And a lot of ability to be involved in the community with JOIN. We do neighborhood cleanups and we have a community garden and these type of things, ways to be able to help and contribute. But after you go through that and then um, you've overcome homelessness somehow, got yourself a place to live and you're more, you're better off now. And so then at that point, you're a person that might end up at CAC because you're trying to give back. You benefited from their program. They helped you. And it kind of puts it into your heart to want to try to help other people that have been through the same thing as you, and especially to join. I want to be able to help join because I know how hard they work to try to help homeless people. So we come together, and then, um, so basically, you learn there. You learn how to go into a meeting according to um, Robert's Rules of Order. I mean, you go in and you kind of, you know, not talk over other people and wait for your turn and stay focused and keep your... You know, you just learn how to function in a meeting in a way that you can contribute something and not disrupt the meeting, this type of thing. And then from there, we get to the point where uh, it's kind of flattering. They ask us our opinions about housing projects they're developing and things that might seem over our head. You know, like, what am I, what do I know about that? I'm just a homeless person that overcame homelessness. But they really want to know, and they take that information and they use it because it has value. It really does to get people that have been through that experience themselves and give them the ability in a structured environment like a CAC meeting to um, communicate the knowledge that they have is what CAC is all about, giving people the ability to contribute something to you know, and try to help make a difference. I love CAC. I've been going there for three years. If I was a millionaire, I'd still be going there. I was just going to say that what you have just described is absolutely beautiful. And I know that you're saying that, you know, what do you know, but you know what works for you and for the people that you know. You've also, I think, 
countered some stereotypes that unfortunately a lot of our listeners might have about people who've experienced homelessness. And I think one of them is this idea that, or just like this larger thing of giving back, that you're not someone who was freeloading or just trying to take something, but that you have decided that you want to commit to continuing to give back. And I wondered if you had anything more that you wanted to share about that. My experience with joining, they have outreach people. And these people are trained and they have a lot of knowledge on how to go out into the world and encounter people and, and determine what it is they can do to help them. And I met a lady that was there. She's gone away. Her name was Diane. And she was an Indian, which I'm a Native American. So I had a kind of a little bit of a bond with her. And she became my friend before I even knew that she was a counselor or joining her homeless. I just happened to be homeless in my truck and she just happened to be coming around. And it took me about a month to realize, wait a minute, this girl is part of some kind of organization that wants to help me. And then uh, she was also a a Native American and she also had uh, dreams and goals, uh, just like uh, the homeless people do. And she shared her stuff with me, just like I shared my stuff with her. And she achieved that. She's no longer a joint. She wanted to be a teacher. Now she's a teacher. These are amazing people that do what they do, and it takes a lot of lot of um, a lot of effort on their part. It's more than just a job. You know, they're involved with people's desperate situations and, and people that really have these needs that are so overwhelming. You know, and then they and then they're limited in the way that they can deal with that. Now, with regards to the homeless people, I am struggling with a lot of things that. Uh, handicap you in trying to help homeless people, I judge. And I don't like lazy people. And I don't like drug addicts and things like this, you know. And I just feel, uh, and so, but I think I've learned enough. I've grown enough in my experience that I check myself when I'm doing that. When I'm judging people, when I want to, you know, put somebody in a category, you know, homelessness or whatever, I got to stop myself because you know what? I've been involved with people enough where I can pass that judgment and I'm just going to pass them on the street. I'm going to see them and I'm going to find out that I was wrong. You know, and I've done that enough times to realize, man, oh man, homelessness is not a situation that you can look at and, 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 and say, well, there's a bunch of drug addicts or uh, lazy people or um, there's so many issues going on. You know, there's so many there's so many different reasons why people are homeless, and there's so much homelessness that is uh, undeserved. You know, people that are struggling with stuff, and uh, people that really have the, the the willpower and the heart and the desire and the willingness to to work and whatever it takes to overcome their problem, yet they can't because their because their homelessness situation involves something that they need help with, whether it be mental illness, whether it be addiction, whether it be abuse that they've been through, or whatever it is. I just know that join is a place that they look at that. They try to identify what's going on. How can we help? Chances to help every person the same way. The only thing I can say about, you know, you asked me why, why, why I want to get back to join. They did me well, took care of me and provided for me and helped me and encouraged me were there for me and got me out of my problem. They helped me. I got myself out of it, but they helped me. And uh, also that I know by contributing to join, like if somebody looks around and they're like, 
know what I want to donate some money. Salvation Army, this place, that place, the other place. Me, I'll pick join. Because I know that they make a difference and that they so those those are the two reasons. I know that if I can get back to join somehow, if I can help join do what they're doing, I'm helping somebody do a good thing. The other two things that you had mentioned that I think again are, are really great examples for people who are housed, the idea of a neighborhood cleanup and a community garden. Mm-hmm. Where did those come from? What do they look like? Here's the thing is that I'm a big person on dignity. I talk about people's dignity with regard to homelessness. I believe that a lot of homelessness is is turning into chronic homelessness or homeless situations becomes harder and harder to solve. When a person, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say degenerates or deescalates or whatever to a point where they can't take care of the personal hygiene. They got no clean socks to wear. They can't shave. They can't get up in the morning and put their best foot forward. They ain't got nothing to eat, you know, and uh, that person there, and then the, the problem becomes, and there's nobody there to help them or nothing. What are they going to do? Get up in the morning and go get a job? No. Nobody can. You couldn't. I couldn't. You know, I mean, nobody could in that situation. And But big time with dignity for me is that we need to try to help people maintain their dignity, give them, you know, the ability to, put their best foot forward to try, to be able to give them the tools they need to try. Now, these community gardens and these chances to go out and clean up trash in the community and these things like that, give a homeless person the dignity and the pride or the pleasure or whatever you want to call it of being able to be a part of the community and do something that helps. They want to be able to help in the community. They don't just want to be helped and just receive and feel like a bum. You know what I'm saying? Or feel like, you know, I can't do anything for anybody, but you know, they want it to be, they want an opportunity to be able to contribute something. That's why people in CAC, that's why people come to the, we haven't been able to have our community garden this summer due to the pandemic and stuff, but I missed it. We did grow vegetables and give them to the community. And I miss being able to go out and clean up the trash in the neighborhoods. We organize in different types of community uh, things that we organize. Uh, once we did a thing to help people with their taillights and running lights for their cars. You know, homeless people are living in their cars. And sometimes they don't have the signals and the wherewithal to fix them or whatever. So, Do you ever have people who are housed come out and work with you at the same absolutely, time? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And they, 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 there's a lot of people in the community that want to. They're trying to do when they listen to your podcast. They're trying to understand. And one of the best ways to understand is to go get involved. And there's other groups. There's groups that are, you'll see uh, Christian fellowship groups or youth groups, things like this. Team cleanup, you know, these community type things that are teaching kids a sense of community. And you'll see them come along and they'll come to learn. Work with us on a neighborhood cleanup project and they'll work alongside homeless people Maybe in that way they get a little understanding of, well, wow, this is really a person. They're out here cleaning up for no, you know, donating their time and maybe they're not such a bad person, you know. She's a homeless person. They have a hard time and they're trying to fix it, you know. I'm kind of a champion of, uh, if I'll take a moment to say, I'm kind of a champion of, uh, of the dignity thing, of trying to find people. Of course, there's that outreach work that goes along, that, that says, okay, here's where we can, Let's focus here on um, on some clean socks, on a clean pair of clothes, on a, on, a, on an ID card, 
on a, on an opportunity to get a job or or provide the first and last month's rent of housing, whatever on that whole scope of things that joint can do to help a person. Mental health issues, a bunch of addiction. Well, if you go in a day room, you're going to see a bunch of mental mental health issues, a bunch of addiction, a bunch of uh, strife and struggling. And if you could just imagine, well, let me go in this room and figure out, okay, how am I going to help that person? How am I going to help that person? How am I going to help that person? You could be a genius. You still wouldn't be able to. I mean, you'd have to get that person, talk with him, understand what's going on with him. There's a lot of stuff you'd have to do before you can even decide, uh, should I give him five bucks? You know, or should I, you know, I mean, sign him up on the shower list or, or is this person ready to go get a job or, you know, or what's going on? What, where is this person? Does this person need drug treatment or does this person need a uh, mental health treatment or, you know, what's going on? So if I can interrupt for a second, because you are yeah. answering so many of the questions that I hear from people who are housed all the time. You know, one of the things that I think people who are housed really don't understand is that this model that Join uses, which in the shop talk is person-centered, right? So it's approaching everyone, as you described, as an individual and understanding them takes time, right? It's like you're saying, like you have to know a whole lot to know whether this is going to work or this is going to work. And you got to try the things out. And I think that people who are housed don't understand the importance of the relationships that you're talking about and that developing them take time and they have to be prioritized. So thank you, because I think you have illustrated that just so beautifully. What was helpful to you that people who were housed did while you were houseless? Or what do you think people who were housed could do to better support people while they're waiting for housing? For me, when I was struggling with homelessness and what helped me, what people did for me that helped. Somebody to talk to about what's going on in your life. Somebody you can open up and be honest with and not be embarrassed about your situation. Well, I'm broke. You know, I don't have the wherewithal. I need to be over to the other side of town to try to see about a job. And I need to, you know, um, whatever it is that you have to do, you don't have the ability to do that. And uh, sometimes even if you don't have the ability to do that and somebody doesn't have the ability to give you the, give you what you need to do that. Still, it's okay. It helps to be able to talk to somebody. Then maybe you can come up with a solution. But it helps to be able to talk. It sure helps to be able to. Uh, there's there's the basic need. You know, if somebody's uh, come on, come on over to my house and let's have a cup of coffee. You know, or I'll fix you breakfast. Or uh, or do you need to wash a load of clothes? Or do you need to take a shower? You know, um, I get that down and dirty with it with homeless people. I'll help somebody. And I'm not naive. I mean, I, you got to be really careful with that type of thing. I wouldn't recommend that everybody in the community go out and start letting homeless people come over to their house and wash their clothes. People that takes time and people that people that a lot of people won't even see. Like with me, you won't see uh, how hard my situation is. Cause I'm not going to let you know, cause there's a amount of pride involved, you know, but uh, the people that do see, you notice, I mean, usually the reason that they see is cause they bother to stop and listen. So then they see, you know, and then they, they give, that gives them the ability to, to try to offer some kind of help if they're so inclined. It's amazing to me how far yeah. that that can go. I remember one day I, somebody in my building who was most likely experiencing homelessness dropped their scarf. And I just instinctively 
been down and picked it up and handed to them. And they were like, thank you so much for doing that. Mm-hmm. Most people would never have done that. I get that, yeah. And just, you know, the the image of that kind of just basic humanity and what that can do. You know, it just sounds like to me you're talking about neighbors helping neighbors. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, it goes on. I mean, how can somebody help you? I mean, I've had, I received help by literally being able to wash a load of clothes in somebody's house, maybe sleeping on somebody's couch, maybe parking my van in their driveway. Just whatever it took to get through to a point. Now, I'm not homeless anymore. I live in a home and I pay my rent. I uh, am fairly secure. I got my mental health treatment now. That was the issue with me. I needed mental health treatment. I'm kind of okay now. But, uh, you know, getting through that process, there were people that helped me. I guess you have to love, have compassion, care about somebody a little bit. That makes a big difference, you know. (laughs) Compassion uh, can go a long way. Go a long way, you know. You have compassion, you really give a shit. You know, and somebody can see that, like, I just don't know what the solution to the problem is. I know how people helped me. They helped me materialistically, opening up their arms to me, having compassion for me, helping me, coming up with ideas for me, and and, uh, pointing me in the right direction. You know, if I say anybody can end up homeless, I think maybe that might be, uh, maybe a lot more people might know that today after going through the pandemic than they did before. You know, and then we might have a little more hard lessons to learn along the way. But uh... when I talk to people who are housed and who are still trying to work through compassion and still trying to really work through how to show up, mm-hmm. you know, they'll ask me, well, how can I help? And I'll say, just be a neighbor. Start by saying hi to someone. Mm-hmm. Ask somebody how their day is and have a chat. And then they're like, OK, well, what organization should I give money to? Or do we need camps or this, this and this? And I'm like, but what I said was to just start saying hi to people, learn someone's name, and yet they immediately pivot away. And so what you're describing is exactly what people need to be doing, but they have a hard time hearing. And so maybe hearing it from you, they can be more open to the idea. Um, You've talked about your experiences with homelessness throughout the discussion. Is there anything else you would like to share? Try to understand what's going on. Try to take a look at the problem. Don't assume that you know what's going on. Even even with even if the evidence might seem overwhelming. You know, you're looking at these people, these people are bums, you know, they ain't gotta, you know what I mean? Try to get knowledge to understand by getting on your podcast or you know, or getting involved in any of the ways. There's a lot of ways the community can be involved in helping the homeless. And I've seen them do it and they do it well. And there's a lot of love there, you know, people that are handing out a hot bowl of soup in the wintertime and People that are going around the homeless camps and they're trying to love on those people and help them and see if they need anything. There's a lot of that. And I think those people that do that might not sound like a fun thing to do with your day off. It's definitely going to be a learning experience. If you care, then you can at least uh, understand the issue and how you're going to how you're going to vote on a bill or how you're going to contribute your time or what you're going to do to help. At least you can have some knowledge. To be able to try to do that. I mean, I think this is great, Calvin. Like you've given us so much great information and I can't thank you enough for for sharing your story like this. You have learned how to tell your story beautifully. Well, my teacher here, she's one. Yeah, I mean, it has been, y'all have done some remarkable work and have an amazing, amazing story. 
did such a good job. She's a lot to me that she says I did a good job because I couldn't have did this a couple months ago to give impact statements, to influence policy, to help people to make decisions that are going to work. That's what we're trying to do, right? right. Jessica, how will people share their stories going forward? I want to start by saying like this makes me just so happy that people can speak for themselves. One of the things I am... Um, almost makes me cry. It's, it's so pain, personally painful thing. I would go with people to agencies, you know, DHS, and people would say something for themselves and then they wouldn't get heard. I would go with them. I would repeat the exact same thing, but as a professional mm. and all of a sudden things happened. And so for me, it's first and foremost where people want to share their stories but we're hoping to bring people to um, implement the implementation meetings for um, what housing services measure. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we're hoping that folks are, you know, able to inform how and where we uh, direct services. So, or how those services are created, because it's not just enough to have the money for those things. They need to be put in the right pots and, and I think the people who receive those services or who understood been through the system should be the ones leading those conversations. I think a lot of us have good intentions, uh, but not any practical experience. So I think that's kind of like the next place. But I think we want people everywhere they want to be. I don't think there should be a breakdown. And I think the one positive thing about the pandemic is I really hope that these spaces remain accessible. And while there definitely is a tech divide, and that is something that we've worked with. At least people have the chance. You know, we work with a lot of folks with disabilities or, you know, people who are parenting, and, you know, they don't can't necessarily take the time out of their day at, you know, two to four o'clock to drive 60 miles to a capital or to show up at a space. So I guess that was a very long way of saying everywhere. And more importantly, with this supportive services measure and making sure that we are actually using the money in a way that benefits. And for listeners, the supportive housing services measure was the major, major revenue measure that many of y'all voted to support last or two years ago now. It's a metro-wide revenue measure that is going to provide unparalleled money for supportive services and eviction prevention and rents um, and housing stability for people who have experienced homelessness or on the cusp of homelessness. This is a, a very unusual kind of measure. We have very few measures in the country or revenue streams in the country that allow for such an investment in supportive services. And so seeing how all of this work is connected, right? There's the policy groups, there's the way things are getting implemented, there's the lived experiences that people can help inform these policy processes. It's a lot of work and a lot of intricacy and there's some really great people um, working on all of these things behind the scenes. Jessica, any last thoughts? I think if I had to ask of people just one thing, we do a lot of work to prepare people to be heard by other people. Calvin, for example, is an amazing person and has so much knowledge. We're not working to make him more knowledgeable. We're working to be able to have folks tell them. Yeah, to get the knowledge out. Get it out of the brain in a way that people can understand what it is. Right. What I need for other people is to listen. You're in a position 
to take the time to listen. You have the stability, the the education. I just, if I had one thing, if I could say one thing, it's just like if people would just take the time to listen to people, even when it sounds like, you, you know, maybe they're not saying exactly what you, you know, want to hear or how you, how to hear it, but to listen to people and just meet, meet people where they're at, but truly meet people where they're at. And none of these folks, we're not putting ideas in people's heads. We're helping people present their ideas. And we would just ask, I think I would just ask that people make that process easier by, by list, like truly listening to people and not discounting people because they don't speak the way that you do, or they don't have the same abilities that you do. And if I can add to that, one of the things I work with my students a lot on in planning is that we're asking people to learn how to share their stories and their knowledge in ways that are about dominant societal positions, right? So we are having to spend time and people who have this knowledge and these experiences are having to spend time learning to share information in ways that college-educated, middle- and upper-class people have been trained to receive messages. So we start to often turn off, you know, house people, college-educated, will turn off if we start to hear somebody with a more wandering story because they're not telling their story efficiently or effectively. And that's how we label it, as opposed to what you're talking about, Jessica, listening where people are at. People are giving their stories and their messages Sometimes that's actually very culturally specific, right? Like I'm from a storytelling tradition, right? We got long stories. So it's wonderful that y'all are doing this work. And it's amazing that that Calvin is committed to trying to do this. It's also something that we shouldn't have to need to do, is that if people would just listen more, we could skip the part of helping people tell their stories in a way that translates to bureaucracy or translates to middle and upper class values. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for making time for us and for sharing so much. It was really beautiful. And just y'all are doing great work. That was Jessica and Calvin from Welcome Home Coalition, a group of organizations working together to advance the idea that everyone deserves a place to call home. To learn more, go to welcomehomecoalition.org. And to learn more about JOIN, the organization Calvin mentioned, go to joinpdx.org. And as always, to find out more about the podcast, including additional episodes and recommended reading, go to understandinghomelessness.org. Thank you for listening.